You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. In the wee hours of the morning in Florida today, United Launch Alliance had a successful launch of its new Vulcan rocket. Its Blue Origin BE-4 engines ripped through the night sky with those gorgeous blue methylox flames. And what a beautiful launch it was. Picture perfect. As for the payload, though, keep those fingers crossed. T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS Pedras. Go for the floor. Today is January 8th, 2024. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T-Minus. Launch success for ULA's Vulcan. Mission complications for Astrobotics Peregrine Lander. UAE and NASA announce a new collaboration. And our guest today is retired NASA public affairs official turned author, John G. Bluck. Stay with us for that chat. Let's dive into our briefing for today. In the very opening moments of its launch window, at 2.18 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, we had liftoff of United Launch Alliance's brand spanking new Vulcan rocket from Cape Canaveral in Florida. This launch was for ULA's CERT-1 mission, and in the Vulcan's Centaur-5 upper stage, it carried two payloads, the big one being Astrobotics' Peregrine Lander, which itself has five payloads aboard from NASA's Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program. And since it is the ride for Astrobotics Peregrine, ULA's CERT-1 is the very first U.S.-based commercial robot launch to the moon. A noteworthy first. And we should note that CERT-1 is officially a full mission success for ULA and the Vulcan, as they hit all mission milestones successfully and deployed both the Peregrine payload and completed an Earth escape burn for the Centaur-5 to send a memorial payload into deep space. And I can hear some of you shouting at me right now. It wasn't all roses today, no. The launch was flawless for ULA, yes. 
but the news for the astrobotic payload has had us all on the edge of our seats throughout the day today. A few hours after the successful launch and deployment of Astrobotics' Peregrine Lander from ULA's Vulcan, things were looking a bit dicey. At 10 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, Astrobotic reported that while almost all of Peregrine's systems came online as expected, the lander experienced some kind of anomaly that prevented it from pointing its panels to the sun, a very necessary move in order to continue powering the vehicle. An additional update posted an hour later at around 11 a.m. Eastern Time added that teams were working hard to get Peregrine to a stable sun-pointing orientation, but the onboard battery was reaching operationally low levels. And to add to the difficulty, the craft was in an expected period of communications loss. And then, hooray! As of the noon update, the team had figured out an improvised maneuver to reorient the solar array towards the sun, and battery charging was now underway. But like all roller coasters, with the highs come the lows. And the 1 p.m. update pulled us back to Earth, sadly, with a thump. Here's the quote. Unfortunately, it appears the failure within the propulsion system is causing a critical loss of propellant. The team is working to try and stabilize this loss, but given the situation, we have prioritized maximizing the science and data that we can capture We are currently assessing what alternative mission profiles may be feasible at this time. And that's the update from Astrobotic. We're all rooting for you all at Astrobotic and for you, little Peregrine, best of luck. In other news, NASA will be holding a conference tomorrow to provide an update on the agency's lunar exploration plans. Could it be an announcement about the launch date for Artemis 2? I bet. Or an update on Artemis 3? which is planned to land the first astronauts near the lunar south pole? Well, it could even cover Artemis IV, which is planned to be the first mission to incorporate the Gateway Lunar Space Station and future Artemis missions. As soon as we know, we will bring you that news on tomorrow's show. The U.S. and the United Arab Emirates have announced new partnerships in space exploration. The Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center has announced plans to provide an airlock for NASA's Gateway Space Station that will orbit the moon. The Lunar Space Station will support NASA's missions for long-term exploration of the moon under the Artemis program. And the UAE Space Center will provide Gateway's crew and science airlock module, as well as a UAE astronaut to fly to the Lunar Space Station on a future Artemis mission. And staying in the UAE for just a moment, Sultan Al-Nayadi, the latest astronaut from the Emirates, has been appointed as the nation's new Minister of Youth. The UAE's Vice President and Prime Minister Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum said Al-Nayadi, quote, has served his country in the military and space sector, as well as served humanity in the scientific field. He added on the social media platform X that public nominations played a role in the selection process and said that Al-Nayadi will continue to perform his scientific and space duties in addition to his new responsibilities. NASA has modified agreements with Blue Origin and Starlab for funded commercial space stations that are on track to develop low-Earth orbit destinations for NASA and other customers. The changes add new technical milestones and reallocate existing funding to allow the agency to accelerate progress. NASA has set a goal to foster a commercial low-Earth orbit economy that will be ready for when the International Space Station retires in 2030. The U.S. Space Force is taking cyber threats in space seriously and making moves to work closer with the U.S. Cyber Command, 
otherwise known as U.S. Cybercom. Despite the concerted effort to protect assets in orbit, there are currently no guardians stationed at U.S. Cybercom, a situation that the service says it hopes to rectify in the coming years. Space Force has reportedly had conversations about establishing a service component to U.S. Cybercom, but nothing formal has been announced at this time. Spire Global has been awarded $9.4 million U.S. million by the National Oceanographic and Oceanic Administration, a.k.a. NOAA, to provide radio occultation data for an eight-month period. The award is part of an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, or IDIQ, contract for NOAA's Commercial Weather Data Program's Radio Occultation Data Buy 2. This is in addition to the $2.8 million contract awarded to Spire in September by the agency to provide data on ocean service wind speeds. Arti Holamaini, director of the UN Office of Outer Space Affairs, says governments and industry should speed up efforts to implement voluntary guidelines, set out in 2019, by the way, for the sustainable use of space. Holamaini told the Financial Times that there is a lot of content in the guidelines that could be turned into norms. She said that, quote, implementing the guidelines is the only chance we have to move in the right direction. Well, with an estimated 9,000 tons of space debris currently in orbit, we can only say, here, here. And that concludes our briefing for today. You'll find links to further reading on all the stories that we've mentioned in our show notes. And we've added three extra for you today. One's on the research mission on the ISS to find a cure for cancer. And two, announcing new appointments at the U.S. Office of Space Commerce and at Scotland's Orbex. You'll find them all at our website, as well as at space.n2k.com, and just click on the episode title. AT Minus Crew, every Monday we produce a written intelligence roundup, and it's called Signals and Space. So if you happen to miss any T Minus episodes, this strategic intelligence product will get you up to speed in the fastest way possible. It's all signal, no noise. You can sign up for Signals and Space in our show notes or at space.n2k.com. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our guest today is space author John G. Bluck. John started by telling me about his book, Murder at NASA. Well, the book is about cold case murder that takes place at NASA Ames Research Center in California, where I used to work. So it was a great uh, place to set the book. And uh, what happens is... uh, there's a man from Kentucky, and his name is Luke Ryder. And, uh, of course, the FBI, FBI gets involved in this murder because 
they investigate crimes on federal property. How would my protagonist get involved? Well, there was a trick to it because usually the FBI doesn't ask outsiders to help unless it's something strange and unusual. So in this case, I had a colleague of his from high school, classmate, who happened to be a young lady, Rita Reynolds, and she asked for him to help in the cold case uh, investigation. It's been two years since a lady was murdered, an engineer who was working on a space plane uh, investigation with wind tunnels and so forth. And anyway, so he gets involved. He flies out to California from Kentucky, and he goes undercover by being a sort of student, a new public affairs person. And of course, in public affairs, I used to be in public affairs, you get to go all over NASA, and so you can ask questions of all these people. So it was a good way to get into the story. I was going to say, yeah, that that's such a great segue. So I... I, I know when, when when we can bring personal experience to something that we're creating, it, it grounds that story in a level of truth that really brings it alive for a reader. And your career has been so fascinating. You you worked at NASA for some time. That's only one part of your career. And I think that's what is so interesting about your story. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done in your career? Well, I was an Army journalist during the Vietnam War, but I wasn't in Vietnam. I was stationed at Fort Lewis in the state of Washington. And I also had a radio program, and I actually knew some of the guys that said good morning Vietnam and they had Soul Train and so forth, although I spent most of my time writing uh, for the local newspaper, actually the newspaper on the fort. And you know, a fort has like 40,000 people, so it, it's a major thing, and we put out a newspaper every week, so it was a lot of work and it was a lot of a good experience. Right after the war was ending, I got into a thing called Project Transitions. I was able to work for a bit while I was still in the Army at, at KIRO-TV just to get my feet wet. And after that, I was hired, went down to Miami, and I worked at a TV station there. But we had a labor dispute, and I, we all were fired, except for the guy who started it all. And uh, so I, I got another job in Washington, D.C., as a crime photographer, cinema photographer, for the daytime crime. And so I covered bank robberies and, you know, homicides and a lot of that stuff, but also, you know, sports and everything else you see on TV. So I did that for a few years, and it was quite exciting. I was really, was I took chances. <laughs> but I said, well, I'd rip off a, a story coming over the wire, you know, it was ticker tape the actual it was about wire. NASA. Yep. It was yep. about a satellite called uh, Legios. And um, it was brass with 426 mirrors. And what they were going to do is focus lasers on it so they bounced down and, and they could tell that, that you know, where, where the earthquakes would happen and along the tectonic plates. So that's what they were studying. So I got this and I wrote it uh, and I turned it in to the newspaper. And they said, where are the F UFOs? And I said, well, there were none. And I decided, <laughs> well, I'd submit it someplace else. So I, I and by the way, I, I, of course, talked to NASA, and that's how I got in contact with them at first. 
Uh, did you know anything about space up to this point? Were you at all like a space person? Yeah. Yep. So it ended up being printed in the Baltimore Sun. I can't remember if it was, it was a good place in the paper. I can't remember if it was a front page or someplace inside, but it was a good deal. And so a guy from NASA called me up and he says, how would you like to work for NASA? And then, uh, uh, eventually a, a guy, another guy called me and he, he met me in a bar in Washington, DC, and he bought me a beer and then we talked for like 30 minutes. He says, you're hired. And he says, but it'll take a little time because of the bureaucracy and things like that. So it took a while and they finally hired me and that's how I started. I started out to make uh, documentaries for NASA and I ended up doing a lot of stuff in that area, mostly, yeah. So, and they went, they went all over the world. They translated them to many languages. So, in fact, one of the series ended up being shown in Saudi Arabia, and they said it was the first TV show not to be censored. <laughs> so I felt pretty good about it. Of course, NASA, I mean, we're, we were working with, you know, things that people are interested in. It's really not so political. Space is beautifully nonpartisan is the way that I've often heard it said. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so, yeah. Well, anyway, so if you look at this stuff, uh, I started when I retired from NASA like 15 years ago. So I, I'm not totally up to date on what's happening, but I kind of keep my eye on it. At any rate, I started trying to write science fiction. But to be honest, it didn't really connect with me. And then lately, in the last few years, I decided, well, you know, I'll go back to my roots, which is crime reporting. And i that's how I combined some of this stuff uh, in this, ter- this book, this particular book, N- Murder at NASA. Having that on-the-ground experience reporting and actually being there and having making those relationships, I imagine, with like the, the people who are doing the investigating, being there at the crime scenes, I mean, that's very valuable real life information that, you know, if I were to try and invent something like that, it would be wildly inaccurate uh, because I I would have no idea, but you've been there. You've seen that. You you know how it works. Exactly. And and I think that's exactly how I felt when I decided to to switch gears and go into, you know, mystery thriller writing. And uh, when I've been at these scenes, you know, I can just visualize and remember some, all kinds of things that happen and just even smell the air or, you know, uh, how the wind was blowing and all kinds of things like that. And, you know, having been a cameraman, that really helped me too, because I'm a visually oriented person. And when you write fiction, it's a lot harder to write than news. Of course, I did write a lot of news and articles for NASA as well later on in my career. I think that one of the secrets of writing fiction is to try to make your reader actually see and smell and feel all these things and get them in the position. And if you think of it as a camera and you're looking through your camera or you're looking at, you know, you're just doing a tour, what do you see? And that puts you right there. Secondly, what I found out really works is... Uh, like at NASA, these this is not an expose. It's totally, my murder mystery is totally just entertainment. And I've even told a lot of friends at NASA, well, you're not in this book. Don't worry. <laughs> 
But the reason you might identify yourself is I've actually gone to a psychology book and I find that if you look at all the different kinds of people, you could they have it listed in the psychology books, various ones. What I do is I take one kind of a character and I put it next to another character that might uh, conflict, and that's just drama. That's drama. So anyway, if they identify themselves, they probably have identified a certain character type they are. <laughs> yeah, they're they're telling on themselves, as they say. <laughs> That's a little bit. Well, what's interesting to me is that you. It's not like you started your career at NASA. You've had a very interesting, a, a number of fascinating experiences, and that you chose to write one of your books at NASA is a, an interesting choice to me. Because I, I think for many people, they think of maybe the drama is is maybe on the launch pad, so to speak, but not necessarily where the people are, are working in the day-to-day. So to, to make that a, a dramatic place for uh, an exciting story to happen is a really, I would say, almost like a challenging choice. So how did you go about weaving that in? Because I, I, I'm not sure that would be the first place I would think of. But again, I never worked at NASA, so I have no idea. <laughs> well, well um, the first book called... Um Death in the Holler is about the guy who's the, you know, protagonist, Luke Ryder. And this all takes place in a holler, a small valley in Kentucky. And I happen to know about that because my daughter lives in Kentucky now. And so I came up with the idea just sitting in her living room talking to my son-in-law. At any rate, so that's how it started with that book. And I then signed a contract with a publisher, Wolfpack Publishing, and they wanted more books, and I had I decided, well, uh, they want series. That's what everybody wants these days, series. So I said, I thought, well, a good place to do it would be someplace I know, NASA Ames Research Center. I know all the, where the buildings are, and all you know how the people are and how they operate and all this stuff. Where the bodies are buried, as they say, but <laughs> well, not literally. I don't know. Maybe not literally. I, don't, I doubt if there's been a murder yet at NASA <laughs> Ames. But, Unless Maybe I don't a loaded know phrase it. in this context, yeah. <laughs> so it's also a contained area because, you know, it's guarded. There's a fence around it. And it's sort of like yeah. having a murder mystery on a ship or something like that. So, it, you know, you can kind of contain it, although it overflows into the area outside the fence, too, a little bit. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. And if you're anything like the T-minus team, then you have a collection of space things that makes your heart happy. Maybe it's a little squishy rocket like I have, or a model of Starship like Alice got for Christmas, super gels, or the endless collection of space mugs, t-shirts, socks, pins, and patches that we both have gathering around our little home studios. So imagine just how happy our little space nerd hearts were 
When we got the news that Axiom would be partnering with Build-A-Bear yet again to create a new zero-G indicator for the AX3 mission that we're expecting on or around January 17th, and get this, the teddy bear named Gigi will be wearing Axiom Space's next-generation spacesuit. So cute. Now, this isn't the first collaboration between Axiom and Build-A-Bear. As you might remember, Gigi's first mission was Axiom Mission 2 in May. It's a partnership that both companies agree works in engaging youth through STEAM education and outreach. And sometimes the not-so-young people who just get excited about this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. All right, so you've definitely got us hook, line, and sinker. Gigi will be heading into our carts, as well as our hearts, later this month. That's it for T-Minus for January 8th, 2024. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth, Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Jen Iben. Our VP is Brandon Karp. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.